Right. Joining us for, for more on the significance of this moment, the significance for Trump himself, for the United States, or more specifically, even for the Republican Party. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, uh, Peter Weiner. He worked in three different Republican White Houses. He's currently a contributing writer with The Atlantic, a senior fellow with the Trinity Forum, also author of The Death of Politics. Mr. Weiner, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. It is, of course, the third indictment that Donald Trump is facing, but it seems like this one has some greater significance, perhaps. Your thoughts on what this case signifies and, and just how big that was this week? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it, it uh, was in a category different than the um, <clears throat> than the other indictments, um, because this is an indictment in which charges that uh, an American president uh, was basically uh, engaged in an effort crime to subvert an election um, and to attack the very government that um, that he oversaw. And <clears throat> it's never been done in American history. Uh, and uh, the efforts to um, corrupt the Department of Justice and other agencies of government <clears throat> in this effort uh, is just extraordinary. It's, it's, uh, it's breathtaking. And really it would have been inconceivable in the area, in the era uh, prior to the arrival of Donald Trump on the uh, on the political stage in uh, in 2015, but um, but it's where we are, and for this country, we we uh, we have to face it. This is a it's a tough tough moment, tough period for uh, for the United States, um, and it's going to get uh, more difficult, not not less. Right, but it's it's still necessary, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this is <clears throat> this is the. Uh, you know the justice being being played out um, because what Donald Trump has uh, has done uh, on a whole series of fronts um, is, I think, by based on the evidence that I've seen, we'll see what what a court of law finds has has been uh, has been criminal and malicious, and it has to be uh, you know the, the, as, as the saying goes, no person is above the law, uh, and person can't get away with that, shouldn't be able to get away with that kind of, uh, of, of thing. Um, lessons have to be taught, uh, justice has to be done, um, and, and right has to prevail over, um, over wrong. So it's very important that this, uh, that this be done, and I think in Jack Smith, they have a prosecutor who uh, is uh, extremely competent. He has a very, very skilled, uh, skilled team. I don't think you can say that about Donald Trump and and uh, and his lawyers, but yeah, yeah, I'm fully supportive of what Jack Smith is doing. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be dangerous ramifications as we go through that process. But but that the responsibility for whatever harm comes to the country isn't doesn't rest with Jack Smith; it rests with Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, I mean, also necessary in a sense, too, because I, I know with some of the other charges he's facing, I mean, Trump supporters have tried to, or defenders, try to argue that he's maybe being singled out. But when you look at, at this, where you've seen individuals convicted of their role in January 6th, and in some cases given very lengthy prison terms, we've seen individuals arrested, indicted, related to some of the various schemes that unfolded after the 2020 election. It would be a different kind of double standard if, you know, all of those people faced potential criminal charges in jail time, and, and Donald Trump was not held accountable. I mean, none of none of this happens were it not for him. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, he was he was the piston in the engine. He was the person who drove all of this, and if not for his his malicious and corrupt conduct, uh, January sixth never never would have um, would have happened. And of course, it's not just January sixth, uh, although that was a horrific day in and of itself. Right. 
but it, were the, it was the events leading up to uh, and, and even after January 6th in which Trump was trying to use the machinery of government to, to uh, overthrow the election, quite apart from storming, storming the Capitol. So this, this thing has a lot of tentacles to it, um, and, and Donald Trump is, is central um, in, in, every, uh, in every case. So I, I completely agree. It would be a double standard not to, uh, not to prosecute him. Um, and, you know, based on reading the indictment, which I'm guessing you've done, it's, it, it certainly appears to be uh, an overwhelming case. And that was true with the previous indictment, too, the, where he sold top-secret documents and obstructed, uh, obstructed justice. Um, you know, I mean, the things that say about Donald Trump, I, I would say, in my estimation, is he's a man of borderless corruptions. Uh, that is, corruption touches every area of his life, personal and professional. And uh, the, 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 the array, the litany, of wrongdoing that he's done is just uh, is just staggering, um, and yet for so many of his supporters in the Republican Party, it not only doesn't matter in some respects, it, it deepens their reverence for him, which is its own its own problem. Yeah, it's an interesting situation with the Republican Party right now. Your party or your former party, maybe I'm not sure your your current status, but in your piece for the Atlantic, you refer to it uh, this whole situation as a Faustian bargain. What, what do you mean by that? Well, the Faustian bargain is, of course, a literary illusion in which in which you make it to sort of deal with the devil. That yeah. deal with the devil that I'm describing, uh, the figurative uh, devil in this case, um, is that the Republican Party decided very early on to uh, to hitch their their wagon to Donald Trump um, because he was the nominee of the party, and they put party above country, above truth, above honor. And they felt like um, he has to win, and there were there are a whole series of rationalizations that people have invoked to explain why they they, they decided that Trump um, had to, had to uh, had to win. But when they did that, they essentially said, "We're going to stay with Trump and stick with him, no matter what he does." I don't think most of them had any idea the dark alleyways, uh, the lawlessness, uh, the depravity that that would involve. Because I think what happened is that the people uh, who who were made their inner peace with Donald Trump didn't understand what I think they should have understood, which is he is a malignant and malicious figure, a sociopath. And there I, I say that not 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 in a uh, a critical way, uh, but in in a descriptive way. Mm-hmm. I think that he has a disordered personality, and I think that I, I thought that back in 2016. And 2015, um, and I think events since then has have, have confirmed that. And so that bargain they made, which was we're going to stick with him, um, no matter what he does, has led them to places that they never could have conceived that they would they would go um, up to, and including a, a person who attempted a coup and inspired an insurrection against the the uh, the Capitol. Um, and you know, there's going to be a huge, huge price historically for that. I think there's, it's a tremendous moral price that people have to pay, as um, as well. And and it's interesting to me psychologically, sort of at every moment where Trump did something uh, on during his presidency, um, the rationalizations that were invoked by his supporters um, that, uh, that allow them to continue to, to support him despite what, 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 what he did. 
they couldn't really live, I think, most of them with the cognitive dissonance that it creates, which is a lot of these people view themselves as law and order, moral people, and they have embraced and defended and advanced the interests of a deeply immoral and corrupt person. And that creates a tremendous internal tension, psychological, emotional tension. And people don't live well with that. And so what happens is people develop rationalizations and justifications to try and uh, uh, mitigate that uh, that tension. And yet, I mean, and this is what's interesting, maybe it speaks to why Donald Trump was so invested in those lies and, you know, following 2020, because it's so important in his mind that he not be a loser, but he is. Not only did he lose in 2020, I mean, he lost the House and the Senate along the way. So where's the electoral upside for the party in, in being so loyal to him or sticking with him still? Yeah, I, I don't think there is one, but I don't think that's the right way to view it uh, in terms of trying to understand what's happening, um, because it, in a way it's, that's too detached and too rational. Um, I, I think the way to understand the, the attachment the Republican Party has um, to Donald Trump is not really um, fully rational. I think it's affective, emotional, um, psychological. Um, it's a sense that he... Um, is their, their, their fighter, their revenge. There's a tremendous psychic satisfaction that I'd say a lot of Republicans, certainly MAGA world, gets out of the way Donald Trump acts. These are resentments and grievances that have grown up over decades, feeling that they have patronized and, and condescended to by, by the elite, particularly by the, by the liberal elite in this country, um, by Democrats, and there's some truth in that. I think it's 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 vastly overstated, but there's some truth in that. Mm-hmm. But these emotions um, have been roiling, and then Donald Trump came along, and he's demagogue, and he really tapped into those things, and he presented himself as their warrior. And you can see now, even with the with the uh, most recent indictment, he's saying, <clears throat> "This really isn't an indictment about me. It's an indictment about you." And um, they're going after me because they're trying to get to you. And I'm going to be your revenge, your retribution. And that drives them psychologically and emotionally. And it's a very, very deep, deep bond. And most of the usual arguments that have been made and would work in, in political campaigns, such as the one you raised, which is, look, this guy lost in 2016. The party lost in 2016, in 2018, and in 2020, 2022. Um, that the public, most of the public in America, are not enamored of Donald Trump. They're worried about him, and the party has, has paid, a, paid a prize for that. That calculation has, has largely been pushed to the, the side. In addition to that, Joe Biden is, is, is a weak president, and there are polls, including a New York Times poll um, just a few days ago, which showed Biden and Trump uh, tied at 43%. Right. Um, so they've convinced themselves, and there's now some evidence of that, that Trump may not lose in, in 2024. Uh, if he were down by 12, 15 points in the polls, you know, that would be one thing. I still don't know that that would have made a difference. But they can now point to empirical evidence that says, look, this is, this is a toss-up, uh, and Trump could, could, um, could win. I don't think he will in 2024 for, for a variety of reasons. But Joe Biden is, you know, 80 years old, and, and uh, events can inter, inter, intervene. But for now, they have polls that they can look to and say, um, look, we've got as good a chance or a better chance of winning with Trump than we do with DeSantis or anybody else. 
And it's interesting, though, because if it was DeSantis or somebody else, I mean, there's there's zero chance that as long as Donald Trump is alive, he would ever support or endorse another Republican, right? For all the loyalty he expects from Republicans, he doesn't seem to have a lot himself for the party. A lot of his harshest venom is saved for other Republicans. I, I can't imagine a scenario where if Donald Trump lost in the primary, he would accept that defeat and support whoever the winner is. It's just inconceivable. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. In fact, I think it, what would happen is that he would make it clear to his supporters that whoever the nominee is, that they shouldn't really uh, vote for him. I don't know if he would do that explicitly or, or indirectly. But um, but I think because of the nature of the psychological illness, he, he couldn't bring himself to endorse, and certainly not enthusiastically endorse somebody who, who beat him, whether that's DeSantis or, or anybody else. And in fact, he would want that person to lose, at least on this level, he would want them to lose to, to, to show them and say, well, look, you should have nominated me. You nominated somebody other than me and you lost. So uh, live with it. The reason he might want DeSantis or another Republican to, to win, this, this is where things get complicated, is that if he is convicted of the crimes he's been accused of, he would spend the rest of his life in prison. And the only way to escape that is if he was pardoned from those crimes. Um, you can, a president can pardon federal crimes, not state crimes. So there's still going to be the Georgia case, which he's probably going to be indicted for in, in the next month. And then there's the New York case. But in terms of the Jack Smith cases, which are federal cases, president could pardon uh, Trump for that. So he may have an interest in a Republican winning if he's not the nominee. Uh, so he goes, so he goes free. But I think in terms of psychologically and emotionally, what, what his reaction would be, it would be that he would want anyone who beat him in a primary to lose in the general election. We'll see how that all plays out. In the meantime, Donald Trump will be arraigned this afternoon in Washington, D.C. Peter Weiner, thank you so much for your perspective on all of this. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here today.